0: Hello everybody, well, everybody is a, it's a funny term in a massive auditorium like this, and there's like, I don't know how many of us, but it's so good to be, I actually asked them, I begged them, I paid somebody to help me, to allow me to come this evening, just so that I can speak to real people, and not just, not that people on the other side of a Zoom or YouTube's not real, but they don't feel all that real, so it's fantastic to be here with you this evening, and just to get to share with you. Um, there's a lot going on in our world, isn't there, at the moment? I mean, I've been alive for 52, going on 53 years, I think. Yeah, 53, almost. November, it's really 53 years. So I've been around the sun a couple of times. But uh, I want to tell you, these are amazing days where life is just different than the elements, the things that are happening with us that are Completely unusual. I don't know if you've how you have been able to calibrate your own life during this time. Because the usual measurements that we used up until lockdown life began, a lot of them don't apply at the moment. So if you ask somebody how you're doing, it's you and you say I'm doing well, you have different descriptors to describe what well means than what you did pre to twenty twenty. Isn't that true? Like if you say if you ask somebody are you doing well, then that you know they'll always include something of yeah I'm doing well, and then they'll say because I'm not sick or you know some things that we even took for granted before the time, and then they'll talk about you know how varsity or work life or it's going because I have to do a lot of Zoom and so there's just so many different things and emotionally even it's different to understand how do we do well in these days. Um, And not only is the world difficult for us because of the pandemic, but there's massive social changes that are taking place right now in the world. If you don't think the world is being shaken right now, then I I don't know. (laughs) You know, what would you say? Things are changing. It's literally like, you know, by the end of this week, there's some things that have changed already. We consistently, and we live in this wonderful nation that, um, you know, (laughs) Probably changes at the moment more than some others in the world. Um, and we like to do things late at night, midnight. Sometimes the president changes things. And then by tomorrow, everybody's like running around like crazy. Oh, we've got to change. And it's just constant. It's been 16, 17 months of constant having to adapt and change. And you know, when you live in an environment like that, you can't be withdrawn, you can't go hide in a corner. And particularly as believers, it demands of us that we respond, that we're not just apathetic, that we're not, you know, uh, whatever, but that we're on the front foot, that we're engaged, that we're active and busy. Um, and it's for that reason that I've been speaking this series that we've entitled "King and The King and I over the last couple of weeks, um, because I've just realized in my own life, there are things that are asking me to respond, even things that I don't want to respond to. I need to respond to because there's so much happening, so many voices that are so loud trying to tell us what is going on, and then sometimes I go, but that's not really what's going on. Everybody's got their narrative. Everybody's trying to frame it in a certain way. Everybody's trying to use what's going on to their advantage and how they want to see the world change in, the, in, in favor of what they believe the word should change in, and that all asks of me, okay, now what do I do? What do I actually do? And uh, the only way I know how to determine what I should really do in life is to go to the Scripture and to make sure that I've got a solid biblical framework that I can measure everything by and the voices and the narratives and the, the claims that are being made. And we live in a very interesting time where people really are struggling with authority. Who do trust? What do I trust? People don't even trust our our medical science anymore. I don't know if you've tried to have a conversation with people about vaccine. Those are not reasonable conversations. People people that say they don't want to vaccinate, a lot of them aren't saying it because of any scientific thing. It's just they don't trust. They don't trust, they don't feel comfortable to trust the people that's telling them they've got to vaccinate. Or other things. So we're living in this world now where it's becoming harder and harder to determine on what authority do you base your life and your decisions. And that again for me is where we as believers have to really make sure that we are not just floating along and drifting along, but that we are secure in what the Scripture is telling us so that we respond accordingly. And I want to make this bold statement, which is not an unusual statement for somebody like me to make, particularly in a building like this, but there's one king, and his name is Jesus. Amen? There's one king. There are not competing kings. There are not two or three kings that people have to choose between to give allegiance to. There's one king. There's one all-powerful God. All power belongs to him. All authority, Jesus said, belongs to me. There's one that knows everything. There's one all-loving God, one. There's one king. Now that's a, a big statement to make. Some people would hear me say that And they would consign that statement to a statement of faith. That's what I believe to be true. It's not necessarily true, but it is what I believe. And surely everybody has the right to believe what they want. And so they will allow me to say that because that's my belief. But it's not necessarily true. It's it's what I need to make the world work for me. Somebody else can make a statement, there is no God, and that would be equal to my statement. The problem is that when I make that statement, as I would guess many of you would, when we make that statement, we're not just making a faith statement, we're making a truth statement. Now, I I differentiate there for the sake of the arguments of people around us. In our context, for us as Christians, faith and truth, they're together. You cannot separate them. But for the sake of the discussion, of people beyond us, we sometimes have to make that distinction. Because for us, for people around us, they fa- think faith is blind. It's fairy tales. It's believing something just because you want to believe it, not necessarily because it's true. For us, faith, according to the Scripture, is the evidence of things hoped for. It is a truth statement. What, when I say there's only one king, I absolutely believe that that is the best description of what is real in this world. That is a reality statement. I believe, actually believe, that we live in a universe where there's one God that governs everything and rules over everything, that made everything and everything exists because of Him and for Him. That's the reality I am describing to you. That's not my version of you know, my faith. When somebody comes along and says there is no God, we wouldn't say that that's their faith statement. We would say that that is their description of reality. Am I right? So why is mine a faith statement and not a description of reality? There are competing descriptions of reality. There are competing ideas of what is real. You and I believe that we live in a world where there's one God and He rules supreme over all. And that is what is real. That is reality. So when somebody comes along and says there is no God, we believe they're describing that which is not real. It's unreal. They might as well be telling you about pink unicorns with green minions that serve them. It's unreal. It's nonsense. Because it's not real. If I have to come today on the 8th of August, it's that 8th, am I right? The 8th of August 2021, and tell you that I believe the British and Irish Lions beat the Springboks. Now, for some of you, that may mean nothing, that statement. You go, whatever. But even if that, if you're not a a rugby follower, if I'm making that as a truth claim that I'm living in a world where last night the Springboks lost against the British and Irish Lions, what would you do with me? You would say, you are delusional. You are wrong. You can believe it, but what you're believing does not, cons- it does not align with what is real because that's not what really happened last night. If you tell me you think that the Lions should have won because the ref did this or whatever, that's a discussion I can have with you. But how do I have a discussion with you that the Springboks actually won last night? Because that's a useless discussion because what you're saying doesn't align with reality. Does it make sense to what I'm saying? And that's what we've got to know. When we as Christians say these things, what we say matters. Now, what what people will struggle with is they will say, how dare you make such a truth claim? What gives you the right to do that? How can you be wrong and everybody else be right? And people don't like that. They feel uncomfortable with that. I can understand that. I can understand that, that. people will feel uncomfortable with somebody making such a bold truth statement. I can can completely understand that. If somebody makes a truth claim statement like that, I want to say, how do you back that up? So how a lot of people in this world deal with that is what they do is they say, no, no, everybody is, there's nobody that can be that right. We just don't trust that. Nobody can be so full of pride, so arrogant, to think that they are right. So what we're going to do with that is we're just going to create a space where everybody can be right. So, okay, Christian, you're allowed to say that. You can say that your God is the only God, but so is every other religious or non-religious person. They are equally allowed to say that what they believe is also true. And we should give each other the space to do that. Now, I, I, again, I believe that. That's fine. Everybody has the right to believe whatever they want. And that's absolutely fine. I have no problem with any other person from any religion claiming that what they believe to be true to, is true. That's fine. Because I believe in a world where God gave us free will and therefore everybody has the freedom to choose what they believe. But I do not, cannot accept and will not accept, is that everybody can be right all of the time. You can have the right to think what you're saying is right, but not all of us can be right. Because if we are all right at the same time, then nobody's right. Then there is no right or wrong. Does that make sense to you when I say that? The guy who believes the Springboks beat the British and Irish Lions, and the guy who believes that the, the British and Irish Lions be, beat the Springboks, are both equally have the right to believe what they want to, but they both can't be right. Unless there was a draw, but then they both have to believe there was a draw. So we as Christians are not arrogant when we're saying we are right. We're just logical, following the maths. Because how can you and I that believe in a personal God, I hope you recognize that tonight. The whole time of music ministry was arranged around a person, a being that is interested in you, that is a person. The worship team was not setting the atmosphere for energy to flow. Do you understand the difference? You can go to a place where they do not believe in a personal God, where they believe in energy. They don't pray, they, they have positive thoughts. And energy is transferred from you to another person. Because that's a, consistent with a belief system, you know, that you would find particularly Eastern religions and New Age philosophies and beliefs, that, that there's no personal God, but that there's an energy, there's a force around us, and may the force be with you. And, you know, that force, that mother nature, that, that idea is, is what determines life. How can a person that believes that and a person that believes know there's a personal God? That tonight when we were gathered here, That The team spoke to you about, can can we pray for you that you hear God's voice? Not pick up the energy, the spiritual vibe. Not that you will be zen, but that you would hear a person speak to you. How can both of those be right? It's completely illogical. People that tell you all roads lead to Rome, all gods, all beliefs are the same. They've really not thought about that statement. That is one of the dumbest statements you can make. And every Muslim that's worth their salt will tell you it's a dumb statement. Every Christian, every Jew, every real atheist will tell you it's a dumb statement. It cannot hold logic. But it's what makes the world feel comfortable and livable. I mean, (laughs) explain to me how I can be here tonight and send positive energy to my friend that's going through a tough time in Texas. How does that work? If there's no agent, I can understand praying and asking a personal God who knows me, who hears me because he made me in his image, who I am like him, that I can pray to him and ask him to, be, to help my friend in Texas because he loves my friend. Can you, I can understand that. There's an agent that is making my prayer have an effect in that person's life. I can't understand how energy works because it's not consistent with what is real. The world does not change because we all think in the same direction and wish positive energy in the same direction. That's not real. So that's what I mean when we we say there's one king. That's a big statement. And if that statement is true, it will will cause my whole life to be rearranged. Everything I do is different because I believe that to be true. There's one king. I said it earlier, there's not two kings, there are not three kings, there's one king. What there is in the world, and which this king that we believe in has told us, and revealed to us through the scripture, is that there are competing forces with his king, the, this one king. There is a force, a being, which is called Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whichever language you want to use. That is, has set himself up to deceive people, to not believe that there is one king. And he's creating a comp- a, 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 an alternative truth. He's creating an alternative reality. He's making an alternative version of life to draw people away from this belief and this truth that there is one king. That exists. But that being, Lucifer, is not a king as God is a king. He's a liar. He's a usurper. He's a deceiver. He's not a king. The kingdom of darkness, the Scripture talks about, as opposed to the kingdom of light. But when the Scripture uses that, it's using an analogy to describe to us and show us there's a, there's a competing tr- the truth claims But do not think that these two are equal. What does that mean for you and me in our lives, if that's true, if that's a reality statement? That your life is not some ground of competition between two kings trying to get you to believe and serve them. What our lives is, is that we were made by this one king. We were made for him and by him. We were made like him. We were made to know him. And when Jesus came on earth to represent this kingdom and to show it to us, he said, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. The only way I can have life and life in abundance is I live. if I live in, in the service and in the right relationship with this king. Because this king is the only one that is real. What there is, is there's a liar that's putting on a show and trying to get me to not give my life to this king, but to give my life to what he holds to be true, which is absolutely, actually nothing. It's not real. It's a deception. And you and I as believers have to make sure we get that straight. And Jesus addressed that, for instance, in Mark 12, verse 17. You'll remember that situation where the Jewish leaders were trying to trick Jesus, so they asked him a question one day. Well, they, they framed the question like this. They said, Jesus, you're a man of integrity. You'll not tell us a lie. So they're buttering him up. And they said, so... Tell us, must we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, in their worldview, what they were actually saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you claiming to represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God. But there's this competing king, Caesar. And we want you to tell us, should we choose God or should we choose Caesar? Because these two are two kingdoms. And when Jesus answers him, he's actually answering them by telling them, no, there's not two kingdoms, there's one kingdom. This kingdom is not a competition for me. I'm the one king. And therefore he says to him, if you read Mark 12, I think I'll put it on the screen, Jesus said to them in the uh, English Standard Version, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. It was his answer. But before he gave the answer, he said something. He said, give me a coin. They gave him a coin, and he said, whose image is on the coin? They said, Caesar. So he gave them them the coin, and he said, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Now, sometimes Christians interpret that to mean, here is Caesar's things, and I must give to Caesar, and here's God's things, and I must give to God's things. And what they're actually saying is there's two kingdoms with two kings. Part of my life I have to give to Caesar what belongs to him, and part of my life I have to give to God what belongs to God. So that's why, where's my two baskets? Oh, sorry, Dolina, I forgot to bring them up. Will you give me my two baskets, please? So this, thank you very much. This literally is the view they had. Yes, the things that belong to God, because God is real, so I must give some things to God. But they're Caesar, and I must give some things to Caesar. And my life is lived by, I actually want to give everything to God, but unfortunately I have to give some things to Caesar because I've lived in a world where there is a Caesar. And what they were trying to say, to Je- wanted Jesus to say is, stop giving to Caesar and only give to God. Because it would be really nice if Jesus said, you don't have to pay tax to Caesar anymore. That's really what they wanted him to say. But they wanted a theological basis for not paying tax to Caesar. Because it would be really nice. Wouldn't it be? So, you know, I don't have to give. So I don't know if you've ever looked at the bottom of that payslip, if you're getting a payslip. And they know, like, Jesus, couldn't you have answered that differently? That would be so nice. You know. And therefore, some Christians interpret that to mean Jesus said, yes, there's a kingdom of God. And what belongs to God, you must give to God. But, yes, there's a kingdom of Satan and uh, of the world. And what belongs to the world, you must give to the world. That's not what Jesus said. Because if that's what Jesus said, how can he claim to be one king? Because then he's saying there is one king in this realm. And when you're in this realm, please make sure you are serving this king. But unfortunately, there is another king. And when you're in this realm, just, you know, keep this king happy. Otherwise, he's going to kill you and life's going to be horrible. That's not what Jesus meant. But yet, that's what many Christians think. What Jesus actually said was, no, there's one king. That's why he asked for the coin. He said, whose image is on the coin? There are things that belong to Caesar, but by extension, what was he implying when he said, whose image is on the coin? He was saying, whose image is on you? Whose image is on everything? Caesar may have put his, coin, his image on a coin, but let me tell you, everything that exists bears the image of my father. Even Caesar... Although he's a broken image, the, the right that Caesar has to exist bears the image of my father. So when you're giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, you're actually giving to God what belongs to God also. So give everything to God. When you're giving to Caesar, because God insta- I don't have time tonight, and I know Neil spoke about it. You remember he spoke about the four Uh, institutions, that government is an institution made by God to represent God in certain matters. So when I give to the government, a part of that is actually because I'm giving to God, because I'm saying everything belongs to God. God trumps Caesar. That's what D.A. Carson says Jesus was actually saying. Caesar has a little bit of authority and recognized that authority, but all authority belongs to God. There's only one authority, which is God. You see, that's the way you and I as believers have to radically live our lives differently than anybody else in this world. Because everybody else either does this, separates the two, or believes that this does not exist, and it's only this that exists, Caesar's kingdom, the kingdom of this world. We're the only ones that does this. Caesar's kingdom actually belongs within God's kingdom. Most of the other belief systems do this. And the naturalists or atheists and other people like that actually do this. There is not this. Kingdom of God does not exist. There is no spiritual reality. It's only this. All there is in life is this. So therefore, for them, things like elections and government is a big deal because that's all there is. For some of these people, they live in a duality. There's two worlds. And that's what we find in secular society. You can believe in God, that's fine. But just don't bring God into this. And in fact, when you do, make sure that your God fits into our government. So their picture is where ours is like this. The world fits into who God is. There's only one king they actually go, well, you're welcome to have a God, but he must serve our kingdom, which is the world. And that's what makes us as Christians be so difficult to live with. That's why Christians were persecuted in the first century after Christ, why the Romans killed them, burnt them at the stake, threw them to to the animals in the circus, used them for sport and entertainment. Mothers... Children, fathers, men, women, were burnt alive, used as torches to light the streets of some of the Roman cities. Because Christians dare say this. You can be Caesar, that's fine. My worldview, my belief system, my truth claims allows you to be Caesar, Tiberius or whoever. You can be Caesar. And I even will respect you because the fact that you're Caesar is because God shared authority with you gave you the authority to be caesar that's fine so therefore i will serve you because you fit within my understanding of the reality of the world because god made it but caesar when you claim to be god i can no longer serve you in that way because there is only one god i cannot serve you as god and the christians did not never refuse to to obey the laws of Rome. They never refused to pay taxes. They never rose in insurrection and took up arms against the Roman government. They never did that. What they did is they said, we will not worship Caesar. And that's why they were called atheists, literally atheists, non-believers, because they believed in a God that the others couldn't see, the unknown God, as Paul described it on Mars Hill, him on Mars Hill. They said, we will not worship you, and that's why they were killed. We will not give to you what only belongs to God. we find fine to give you what belongs to you, but there are things that only belong to God, and that's my worship, only belongs to God. We'll not worship anything else. Now, you and I don't live in a situation where our government is asking us to worship them. So perhaps that's not so difficult. But we do live in a space where there's lots of competition for worship going on. Every person on this planet worships. Even those, and maybe especially those, that claim to not have a God. They worship. I don't have time to unpack it more, but ultimately the, the, worship, the God that gets the most worship in this world currently Who do you think that God is? Me. Not me, as in me, Louis. Me, as in me, person. You. Self is the being that gets the most worship because it's actually the only other alternative to God. Is self. Because this liar, Satan, Lucifer, has nothing, he doesn't have a kingdom. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a, a throne. He has nothing. All he's got is, is people that, and, and other beings and, that has bought into his lie that, that he is a king. And they prop him up, but he's got nothing. You know that old fairy tale of the person that could see that the emperor is wearing no clothes? Everybody else was like, whoa, look at the emperor. He looks so fantastic. He's so powerful. And they were like, What? Can't you see he's naked? He's got nothing. That's the truth. So we're not living in a world where there's competing arguments. And perhaps we're going to lose this argument as the Christians. (gasps) Can I tell you that as a Christian you don't have to panic? When you hear all the stuff going on, you don't have to panic. Because there's one king. And he's not in control of what everybody does. You know, sometimes we make this statement and and we say God is in control. Now, linguistically, technically speaking, that's not true. God is not in control. Sorry, am I rocking your theology right now? Who of you have family members that has COVID or have had COVID yourself? Can somebody raise a hand? Ruud, and, and he fell and broke his arm the other day. Can I use that as an example? Perhaps that's a bit. Rualt fell and broke his arm. Was that God in control? That he fell and broke his arm? Did God cause that? Did God say, Rualt, you need a broken arm, my 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 dear son. I love you with all of my heart. You need to break your arm. So God either tripped him or put that little Put stone paving stone in the road as he ran and pff, he broke his collarbone. Now I've broken my collarbone; it hurts. If we say God is in control, that means He's the master puppeteer, moving everything, and everything that happened to you was God's plan. No, we live in a world where there is God, but He really gave authority to us. He really gave us free will and choice, and that really causes problems in this world. But he reigns. He's still the God on the throne that is working. And despite all the nonsense, I almost used a bad word, all the nonsense we throw at him and we do on this planet, he still keeps on working. And the worst we do, he can still, in the midst of that, bring good out of it. That he does, but he's not the author of all the nonsense. That's what I mean. He's not in control, but he does rule. And all the nonsense we do here on earth doesn't change the fact that he's on the throne. God's not sitting on his throne going, "Hang on boys. You know, stack the furniture against the doors. They're coming for us. They're going to take our stuff." God's not feeling insecure. He's he's got it. He's got us. And he knows we know the end of the story. Because there's only one king. There's not two kings. We're not in a battle between two kingdoms, and we're hoping that our side wins. We're like, please, and that's why we have to pray. Pray that our side wins, because if we don't pray, the other side's going to win. The other side cannot win; they are losers, big L losers. They've lost. It's now. Does that mean we go? Oh well, we don't have to care. No. What motivates us to engage with the world and to, to fight the good fight of faith is that Scripture says, is not fear, is love. Because we serve a Jesus that didn't sit on the throne and say, well, you chose, sorry, you chose the wrong box. I told you choose red, but you went and chose blue. Sorry. No, we serve a Jesus that said, you chose wrong, but I love you. And I want you, and I want you to know me, and I want to have a relationship with you. So I'm going to come down to earth, and I'm going to let you kill me so that you can see that I love you. And that's what motivates us. When people argue with us, and they tell us that our version of the truth is not true, we don't have to get freaked out and panic. (gasps) We don't have to defend God. We don't have to argue with them because they're speaking nonsense. Have you ever, have you known somebody that believes the earth is flat? It doesn't help that you get upset with them and excited with them. You just put your arm around them and say, you know, I know this is a tough world right now. And I know it's really hard and we're scared that somebody's going to be pushed over the edge. You know, so just hang in there. Sorry, some of you didn't catch that little, It's a meme, you know. No, it's okay. As a Christian, people can argue with me. They can tell me everything they want. I'm secure in knowing that what we have is true, that there's only one God. What motivates me is to see the love of God and the truth of God. To show people that what you believe is a lie, it's a straw house, it's got no substance to it. You are wasting your life. What motivates me when I see people and friends and people that I love and care for that buy into this nonsense, again I wanted to use another word, that nonsense of the world is they're wasting their life. And it's going to lead to nothing other than destruction. Destruction. It's not because I want them to be proven wrong. Because that's already been done. So therefore, we engage. We Because we believe in this worldview where there's God, and actually, this is where my analogy breaks down. I should have actually had a basket that's bigger than everything and put this little basket inside of it, but I didn't have one of those. So that's why I use this. This basket this little basket, which is the enemy, the world, the, the, the alternative truth that the devil tries to claim and create, which doesn't actually exist, is nothing. Oh, thank you very much, Ntandu. You are a man. You are the man of God. There we go. can I take you with me wherever I go? And you know, you just help me. Just do better. Does it, that's more what it's like. And in actual fact, this basket. Doesn't even exist, really. There's only this, the kingdom of God, and that's why, for you and and me as a Christian, when we say, "Come, Holy Spirit, fill me," we're not saying, "Come, Holy Spirit, fill me in this basket," so that I can just endure this basket. I'm not coming to church on a Sunday. Say, "Oh, I need Jesus." Lord, help me because tomorrow I've got to go back and be in this basket and survive this basket and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then hopefully next Sunday. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, be poured out. And just, you know, oh, thank you, Jesus. I feel refreshed. I feel I can do it. Okay. Now just, <laughs> struggling and oh you're my bosses. Oh. Can, I, can I tell you? That's how most Christians in our nation live their lives. They believe in Jesus. They love Jesus with all of their hearts. But Jesus fits into this basket. This is my Jesus basket. Can I be naughty? I know this is not broadcast broadly. That's why so many churches right now are fighting. So that we could have, should have, the government is persecuting us. Because we're not allowed to gather on a Sunday and fill our big buildings. So that we can have Church. <laughs> And we can experience Jesus now. This is real. I want to experience Jesus. I miss being on church on a Sunday. I want, but not because of this. Because of this, because Jesus is everything. When I'm here at church with you, I want to know Jesus. And and tomorrow is Women's Day, so perhaps we can take a break. But on Tuesday, when we need to engage with the world, I want to do it with Jesus. I'm I'm being silly. Even tomorrow when I'm just resting, sleeping late, I'm going to tell Natasha, Darlene said I've got to sleep late. (laughs) She must leave me alone. Even that is Jesus, isn't it? It's all Jesus. Everything. Everything I do is Jesus. How I'm driving is Jesus. Because that's all there is. Some of you should listen to that. How you're driving is Jesus. How you vote is Jesus. Now, again, Jesus gave you the right to vote, and I will never tell you how to vote except to say how you vote must be in line with what you believe about Jesus. Now, there's no political party in this nation that fully represents Jesus, it's not their job. Even those that claim to be the Christian parties, it's not their job to represent Jesus. There's only one institution that ultimately represents Jesus, and that's the church. And God did not give us the power to make laws. And there's such thing as individual choice. So I respect your choice. You can vote for whoever you want to, and that's why it should be something that's secret. As long as what you're doing are saying, I don't live in that world. There's my political leader, and there's my Jesus, and the two of them just never meet one another. No, there's my political leader and there's my Jesus. He's my king. He's just a temporary institution given by God to do some things on this earth. But one day, he will bow the knee before this king. This king. And be accountable to him. Not to me. To him. Like I will be accountable to him. So everything we do. And that's why I love the story of Daniel. I'm going to end with that. Daniel 6. Remember that what happened was Daniel was in the, Med, in the land of the Medes and the Persians in Babylon. Taken away from his family, his home, his, his identity, his nation, his people. Taken to a different land. And, and because he was one of the bright young men, they tried to occulturize him and make him a Babylonian. But Daniel resisted and kept his identity in his relationship with God. He had a worldview like this. Everything is God. I can respect Nebuchadnezzar because he has authority given by God, but he's not my God. And he served, and everything he did, he did with excellence, to the point that at a point Darius followed on, became the emperor of the Babylonians, the king, and um, he decided to rule the nation. He's going to set up 120 uh, prefects, people that would have power and those 120 would each have would all report to three administrators. Daniel was one of these three administrators in the kingdom the the greatest kingdom in the world at that time. And the scripture says Daniel became the most excellent of these three administrators that served the king directly. To the point that everybody got jealous of him. So they tried, and and the king, they could see the king was starting to think, can I make Daniel the head administrator of everything? Because he was so good at what he was doing. So the others conspired, but they couldn't find any fault in his work. They found no corruption in him. They couldn't find anything to bring before the king to, to bring Daniel down, to say, no, limit his authority. They couldn't. His work was excellent. Why? Because he lived in one king with one king. Everything he did, he did unto the Lord. That's what motivated him. And so they came up with a scheme, and they went to Darius, and they said, Darius, you are the most powerful, the most excellent, the most brilliant. You should make a law that for 30 days in this nation, nobody's allowed to worship or pray to any other god or person other than you. In other words, you should step outside of your boundaries of authority and claim worship. Daniel could serve Nebuchadnezzar, who wasn't a nice guy, with everything up until that point. When Nebuchadnezzar said, that sounds like a good plan, what did Daniel do? He went home when he heard the decree. He opened his window where everybody could see him, faced Jerusalem, which represented for him, that's the direction my God is in, that everything belongs to him. And he prayed, the scripture says, as he has always done. He just lived consistently. Nothing changed. He didn't do anything different that he's not always been doing since he's been in Babylon, but they changed the game. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worship you. I'm going to worship my God. And remember, the threat was a nice barbecue that you would be invited to, but you would be the meat. They're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Oh, no, it was the lion's den. Sorry, it was going to be the lion's So they're going to have a show, and you're going to be the main attraction. So they were going to do that. So Daniel said, that's cool. Bring it on. He goes, there's one king. You can kill me, but I will not bow before you. I will only worship this one king. And so Daniel did that, and that gave the other guys opportunity. So they went back to the king. They said, remember that decree that you passed? Is that decree true? The king said, yes, absolutely. They said, well, your servant Daniel does not respect you. He doesn't honor you. You And then the whole story unfolded. This is how you and I live in this world with this one. We are the best citizens of this nation. We are faultless in how we are law abiding citizens. We pay our taxes. We can moan, but we pay our taxes. We don't cheat. We don't find loopholes illegal loopholes. I mean, we use the law. We're clever, but we, we don't cheat. We serve in this nation. But we would not give worship to anything else. And that begins with myself. We've not yet, like I said earlier, got a government that's asking us to worship them. Our problem is a little bit more subtle than that. We have a world system that's telling us you can worship yourself. That's okay. Just don't worship Jesus. But worshiping yourself, that's fine. Man, and even if you want to worship a crystal, that's okay. But don't worship Jesus. Why not? Because Jesus is above every other authority. And how do we live our lives consistent with this idea that there's only one God? But we're not fighting for him. We're not defending him. That's just the truth. So we live that truth. Your friends, your community, people around you are buying into the lies of the enemy. And all it's going to lead to is heartbreak, destruction, and their lives stolen away from them. You and I, we are the salt and the light. The salt, us together, that stands up and say, no, there is truth. There is a reality. There is a God that loves you, that cares for you. Salt, we're the ones that go into the wounds, the rottenness, the destruction of this world with the power of preserving that says, No matter how hard the enemy works to break people down and to destroy them, when the salt gets in there, something will be restored and flavor and life will arise again because there's only one king and the enemy's work is not ultimately true. I can choose to make it true, but if God is allowed, he will preserve and he will restore. And that's the calling on our lives. That's your job and mine. There's lots we don't understand. Like I say, I'm 53 years old. I've served the Lord for more than 40 years. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours reading, studying, coming to these understandings. Now, just by the fact that you may be younger, you may not know what I know. You'll get there. If you apply yourself, and I need to still learn a lot. I mean, what I know is this little, you know, that's why I keep on studying. But it's not about what we know because we're not trying to win an argument. It's about who we know. Know him. Know him. Give your whole life to him. Say, Jesus, everything belongs to you. How I live my life, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, who I spend my time with, what I do with my body. With my mind, everything belongs to you. That's the way we live. So that's what I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. First of all, I'm going to pray for a sense of peace to be in this room. A sense of the lordship of Christ. Of the kingship of our God. the security we have in that. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love us, that you love me, that you love every person in this auditorium, every person on Zoom. You love us, Lord. And I pray right now for a a sense of rest in that love. There's no striving, there's no fighting sense of rest. And thank you, Lord, that you love us enough that in those places in our hearts where we still have given authority to the lies of the enemy, you reveal that to us so that we will not waste time and be destroyed. And so I pray right now, perhaps tonight as we've spoken, we have, may have recognized parts in our lives where we are playing the duality game, where we are separating things. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come and convict us. So that we can confess our sin, repent, and allow you to change us and transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. So right now, if there's an area in your life where you recognize you are actually in control of that area of your life, you are the Lord of that area of your life, just say, Lord Jesus, I give this to you. I know I've given you my whole life, I've prayed that prayer But tonight I'm recognizing that I didn't include this part. I I wasn't aware. I didn't even think about this. And perhaps I've not lived consistently with that prayer that everything belongs to you. I give it to you, Lord. Everything belongs to you. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. And then, Lord, I want to pray that you would remove any fear from us. The fear, the tension, the apprehension we feel in this world that is not our home, I pray, Lord. Let fear not rule us. But as your word says, love drives away all fear. Let the love that we have receive from you and that we can reflect to this world, let that love overcome fear in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that. Come, Jesus. Let that cause boldness within us. So when our friends are following the lies of the enemy, that we will not be angry, that we will not fight with them. We may not even have to say anything at first, but that we can stand secure, showing them the love and the reality, revealing to them the Lordship of God through our actions and then also through our words at the right time in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for our nation lastly. Thank you for this nation, this beautiful nation. But thank you, Lord, that you are true and that you reveal the faults of this nation. And as we, in Women's Day, we think of all the violence against women in this nation. Thank you, Lord, that you don't stand for that. That you call that out. And that you give us a foundation and a reason to be different. And I pray for that in our nation. that the spirit of striving, each for his own rulership of self, and those that have power that abuses those who don't, we pray, Lord, that that'll end in this nation in Jesus' name. Because we recognize we are all accountable to you. And you are our Father. Pray for that in Jesus' name. Pray for our nation, Lord, for a renewing of your spirit within us. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you for just being so wonderful, letting me speak with you tonight. May the Lord bless you.